If people could see it as a time in which women are becoming more, and in their becoming more society, it will be for the common good, not just for my good or your good, it's for the common good. And can we as a society, as a church, as a, a community, a family system, can we welcome this, these gifts, not just individually, but corporately, for the common good, for the flourishing of society, so that as women flourish in the second half of life, society itself flourishes. Hey everybody, Jen Hatmaker here, your host of the For the Love podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm really and sincerely glad that you are here because we're in a series right now called For the Love of the Elephant in the Room. I'm no stranger to hard conversations. I've learned how not to avert them, but rather like lean into them. And so we wanted to, to address a series of conversations that are just hard to talk about maybe there we feel shame around them or it seems super personal or there's not a lot of data out there or for whatever reason these are things that are easier to avoid than to face and so we thought what if we just face them together what if we bring in experts to help kind of walk us through there some of these areas that have been shrouded in silence or avoidance or fear let's bring them to the light right let's see if we can sort of shave off some of those scary edges and see what happens and so i don't i just I think at my age and even my stage of life and so much transition that I've gone through, I'm just, I don't, I'm not interested anymore in sort of tra la la my way through life. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, oh, well, shrug, I don't know. I just, I don't want to have to think about that or deal with that because that has not produced much fruit in my life. While maybe that helped me avoid a hard thing, it didn't grow me up. It didn't make me wiser. It didn't bring me more into my own integrity. And so I think I'm just preferring facing things right now than avoiding them. And so a lot of you are experiencing our topic today firsthand, or you've been through it or are in the cusp of it, or maybe you're years and years and years, as far as you know, from experiencing what people back in the day, Riley called the change, right? So wherever you fall on the spectrum, the approach of menopause is something that we as women will all face. So we're going to receive it differently. We're going to have different symptoms. We'll have different ways to sort of manage it. But universally, we will share this. Of course, over the years, there's just been so much stigma. And sadly, honestly, not a whole lot of science dedicated. So it's really only been the last few decades that the world's bright minds have approached this very natural stage of life in a way that promotes individualism and dignity and honesty and seriously hope like this isn't a death sentence to our womanhood and vibrance my friends i am not to menopause yet but that's that's the next phase of my life and so this combination right now i think of preparing myself for this physiological phase while at the same time being in a stage of rebuilding my whole second half of my life in a different direction than I anticipated. This has just combined to make me really interested in this conversation that I would rather be eyes wide open right now. I want to be proactive. I want to go ahead and decide on the front end, these shifts and this progression of just our femininity is, can be a wonderful good. And how could I embrace it as such? So we really wanted to sweep away some misconceptions about menopause and kind of lay it out. Let's look at what it really, what it really means because it matters that we are able to step into this period of our lives informed 
and supported and open. And it matters to know what experts in women's health, which again, is kind of a new thing in the last 50 years, have to say about it. So let's bring it into the light a little bit. So you guys are good. If you don't already follow her, you are going to love Cheryl Bridges Johns. Cheryl is an author. She's an academic lecturer. She's a leader. Cheryl advocates for women's full empowerment, care for all God's creation, and the renewal of the church to boot. So basically she's out there mixing things up and helping women adopt this broader, more expansive view of themselves and ultimately come into their full potential, which yes, includes menopause. So it doesn't end there. She, she helps us see that as a crucial part of our full journey. So her latest book, Seven Transforming Gifts of Menopause, An Unexpected Spiritual Journey, looks far beyond just the physical aspects of menopause and it weaves it into the spiritual journey of it as well. And so Cheryl says that she wants to help women find their voice and speak their truth by essentially identifying seven key developmental tasks of menopause. We're going to talk about it. It's an amazing, practical, and empowering way for women to embrace what is going on in their bodies and minds and their spirits and embracing it wholeheartedly. And so I can't wait to put this conversation in front of you. I learned a lot. I heard a lot. I'm going to be noodling it for weeks. Please enjoy this hopeful and encouraging conversation with the absolutely wonderful Cheryl Bridges Johnson. Cheryl, I'm so delighted to welcome you to the show. I followed your work for some time and you right now are going to lead us through a conversation that we have not had on this show yet, but we need to have on this show now. And so you're the lady for the job. Welcome to this little community. Well, thank you for the invitation. And it's very good to see your face. Thank you. Just real quickly, so we can locate you on the map. Can you just tell my community where you are and kind of who your people are? Kind of just give us that sort of high level, like where is Cheryl on this planet? Yeah, I'm in the far corner of Tennessee over near North Carolina and the Smokies area and a little place called Cleveland, Tennessee near Chattanooga, a beautiful, beautiful place with mountains and streams. It's just awesome. I'm located confessionally within the Pentecostal community, fourth generation Pentecostal. My great grandmother got expelled from the Methodist church. So that's how I kind of ended up with this. And it's been a good community. But I mean, you know, as of late, it's been more difficult for all of us. Yeah. I understand that. You know, I'm a lifetime church girl and for all the good and the bad that that means, all of it, (laughs) you know, and it's because we love her. It's because we love the church that we grieve sometimes and we keep fighting and we stay connected. And so you and I have that in common for sure. Before we sort of get down into the granular elements of this conversation, just from a 30,000 foot view, can you tell me and my people What in the world compelled you to write a whole book about menopause, right? Like in the Rolodex of possible topics, I mean, you really reached, you really reached for one. And like, can you talk about that? (laughs) Yeah. You know, the current book I'm writing right now, trying to finish up is re-enchanting the text. It's about scripture. So, I mean, that's like a world away from menopause, but it sure is. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe not, but you know, I can make it stretch. But the journey that I had toward that was 
you know, I've always been interested in feminist theology, women's studies, and women's development. And then going through my own experience with perimenopause and all of the ups and downs of that, I began to make connections. And as we all do, we reach out and read, try to find help. And I found Christiane Northrup and some others. But when I started looking at a lot of evangelical women's blogs and things, some of them actually said, you know, just suck it up and and keep being the servant and serving. Don't focus on yourself. And I thought, well, this is very bad advice. So <laughs> surely we could do better than that. Better than this. Yeah. And yeah. so I said to my husband, I said, I think when I get through this, I'm going to see it as a gift. And he said, well, when you get through it, write a book about that. And then I began to ask, you know, and to muse, like, what are the gifts? What What makes this not such a bad time, but a Kairos time, an opportune time, a develop, huge developmental window that we missed. And I began to just sort of look at that. I'm so glad that you did because it feels like at least to me, do you mind me asking how old you are, Cheryl? Yeah, I'm 68. Okay, you're 68 and I'm I'm 47. So we've got about a 20-year age gap. And so I am approaching this season. Mm-hmm. And so you've got the wisdom to offer. So I'm, I'm loving this conversation because a lot of this is new to me. In my experience, and it could just be that I'm not embedded in it yet, but it still seems like we don't talk about menopause until we have to, like, quote, we have to. And even then it's like, we don't like to talk about it or admit that we're in it for some reason. There's some weird shame around it that I don't quite understand. And then even when we do, if we do decide to finally talk about it, there has not historically been a whole lot of information out there that speaks into the physiological experience, but even the, the hope that could be embedded in these experience. So I want to start at the beginning with you. I'm thinking of you as our educator today. Can you explain to us what your understanding of menopause is? Because some of us, I'm not sure even have a, a thorough understanding of what's actually happening with our bodies until it happens. And then we're like, what's going on. And so before we talk about the physical and the psychological and the cultural and spiritual effects, I'd like to know scientifically walk us through what menopause means. Yeah. It's, you know, menopause, the pause of menace, it's the cessation in a simple way. Most women say, okay, I, I no longer have a period and I can no longer bear children and I have hot flashes. So kind of get that sort of basic 101 description of menopause. So it's a complex, you know, we're complex beings. It's a complex process of hormonal and brain changes because the hormonal changes, you know, it's all a synergy. The brain and the hormonal changes are all endocrine system. They're all going together. And we are going through a major, what? psychologists would call developmental window. You remember when you went through puberty, it was major changes. And people were prepared to talk to you about it and help you with it and celebrate you, the new you. And menopause is sort of the mirror image of that. But very few people want to celebrate, have a party, help you understand uh, you're coming out into a whole new world of you know, there's a long history of that, that I go into a bit in the book. All of us probably have repressed memories of our, that we don't even aware of our mothers, our foremothers would just, uh, you know, be afraid, be very afraid. As late as the 1900s, women were put in insane asylums. They were 
diagnosed with hysteria. The treatments were brutal. When they discovered ovaries, they started taking women's ovaries out, thinking that might be the problem. And before then, it was the ancient Greeks saw that a woman's uterus was her problem and that, you know, women were more like animals than men. And the woman's uterus was like a wild animal that lived and roamed in her body and giving her craving for sex. So one reason that's why women had to be kept at home. So that the whole word histus comes from womb. And we can thank the Greeks for the whole term of hysteria. Women were seen as having hysteria. So in modern science, as it developed in the 1800s and 1900s, 20th century has only found maybe more ways to make it hard for women, give it shame for women. As one gynecologist in the 1960s said, I think his name was Robert Wilson, women are the only mammals that outlive their usefulness. And he was Mm -hmm. saying this at a, a conference of physicians. And if we're going to keep them around, we might as well pump them with hormones so that they won't be such a staggering disaster for their husbands. Wow. Yeah, that was in the 60s. Wow. When I was yes. a teenager. So that, that's not mm. that long ago, is it? That's right. And it was known as the death of the woman in the woman. Like you were mm. walking. The that's walking so sad. Through. It's very sad. It's so sad. So no wonder our mothers and our grandmothers did not talk about it. Of course. Yeah. That sort of generational trauma gets passed. And that message becomes clear, whether it's overt or covert, either way girls get the message and then women do, and we just go underground. To me, this piece of our femininity and our just progress as women is still kind of the last one to the table. I mean, still, (laughs) I'm still looking around going, who's talking about this in earnest? So I want to ask you this, Cheryl, something that you spoke of early in your book really captured my attention. I don't think this is the prevailing view when it comes to looking at menopause, which is as a beginning of something, which this is your position, because I think the majority of us view it as the end of something. I mean, the end of our fertility, certainly, obviously, but also maybe the end of our femininity, the end of our relevance, the end of our sex appeal or sexual like desire, just a whole slew of things that we've been taught to think shut down when menopause enters the scene. And so for me, it was super enlightening to see how you categorize menopause as a starting point. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Because this hopeful approach, I think is what my age group is kind of hungry for. Yeah. I think God designed us in this sort of coded DNA of ours that at menopause, we have this sort of breakdown of who we were and a feeling that things have to change or it's a developmental window, a doorway into the second half of life. It's, it's like, okay, now's the opportunity to re-self. Harriet Lerner said that by the time a woman reaches middle, middle age, she may find herself totally de-selfed, de-selfed because she has given, you know, we give bits and pieces of ourself away. And that's a good thing. You know, that relational self that 
comes at adolescence, the we're drugged uh, with these hormones of progesterone and estrogen and that dance of hormones and then prolactin when we're childbearing. And we love, we nest, we just, um, we're the corporate we. We're good at that. Yeah. But I goes mm-hmm. underground like the eight-year-old girl who wants to run for president and, and just owns the world. She kind of goes underground in adolescence to become the seeming self or the pleasing self. And when all of those happy hormones dissipate and the rose-colored glasses come off, the young girl, I think, just comes back, you know, with a hand on her hip. And she said, so what about me? You know, what about us? And this authentic, I call it, you know, the gift of the authentic self, that it's a time to Reself, and that's not the same as selfishness. Selfishness is narcissism, and we we've all met that. But but this is like the coming into oneself of of the aging of good wine. Of you know, women are allowed to age, but not many get to mature. A woman elder is a threat. So they just Why? want to be Why? updated versions of our twenty five year old self. You know. And we work hard to be updated versions of that. Yeah. I just want to hear you speak more on that. I think something about that feels like a salient observation on what is expected of us, what we're allowed, who we're kind of allowed to be that still feels so frustrating. I just, I, I just, I cannot bear to pass on this sort of hamstrung idea to my daughters. I just can't do it. We've just got, it's just got to be over here. It has to stop, and and I'm praying that we're the daughters of the silent generation, but our daughters don't have to be. No, they don't, and they're not. And they're not. I'm sure you're around them. (laughs) These girls have some stuff to say. (laughs) Give them the microphone. They are courageous. Yes, they are. And so Mm -hmm. I think that their menopause may be somewhat different, and they may at least see the opportunities that we've had a hard time seeing that my generation and my mother's generation had a hard time, but the, the ability, the time to mature, to let go of some of the earlier versions of ourselves. not that we will never again, be the relational. We, that we won't be the nurturing nesting person, but that will not totally define us and that we can be more individuated self, more of a sense of, a masculine self-developing in that sense, the I. So that is a good thing. But on the other hand, it's rarely celebrated, rarely welcomed to say, oh, we welcome this new, this new person who's more vocal. Like as Beth Moore said, I just deferred ad nauseum. But when she began to own herself and to become the elder, then you know, all hell breaks loose because. How dare, how dare she be how dare she? an elder in, a, in the religious world? And so I believe that we are bereaved of elders, especially women elders. We need them so badly. And there's so many traditional communities throughout history that have had women elders. Ours is just not, you know, U.S. Western culture has not really celebrated the elder women. If you look at all of the Herbal Mont means and everything about older women like Nancy Pelosi and Hillary Clinton. They're the brunt of jokes. Of course. Still, I mean, I know we've made advances, but 
how does this largely patriarchal society still speak to the advances or probably more on the nose, lack thereof, of studying menopause, like in a scientifically, psychologically, spiritually meaningful way. I'm, I'm curious if you think have men and really frankly, women too, viewed menopause as something just to be endured or solved with some fairly cookie cutter approaches and therapies. And so I wonder if you can just in general, walk us through where we've been, and what breakthroughs have happened in the medical field. I mean, this element of women's health is newish. Nobody cared. Who cares what a woman is going through? So this is recent research. This is recent study. So can you sort of drag us through where did it kind of begin to meaningfully find its way into discourse and how has it evolved? Yeah. You know, in the medicalization of menopause that happened in the late 1700s, 18, 1900s, and it was still pretty brutal and it was very primitive and horrible, abusive treatments. And that continued through the most of the 20th century until around 1992 when Gail Sheehy wrote The Silent Passage. And that broke it all open. Her book became, you know, a New York Times bestseller. It was the first person to say that menopause was a gateway to a better second half of life and that she you know her thing was women can master their men, their own menopause they can tailor make it they don't have to be at the mercy of a male physician or somebody it was sort of a time in which you can take control of your body and your menopausal journey and the whole idea of it being a positive versus a negative thing. So that was as late as 92. And then Christiane Northrup and her book, several books, but The Wisdom of Menopause is sort of the Bible on that. And she comes at it, you know, she is a psychologist and Northrup is a physician, but she is more of a holistic physician where she sees the psychological and as well as the spiritual and the physical and advocates for women finding holistic medicine at that time so that you're not running from one doctor. I know of a, of a woman who ended up suicidal because she was treated for insomnia here and this and that, and it was really deadly for her. So it is a difficult time. I don't want to say, hey, this is like a wonderful period of time. We just... But difficulty is like the breaking open of something that needs to be opened for new life. You know, we, it's for growth, it's for health, it's for betterment. And it's a good transitional passage that if we can get through it and recognize, oh, here's a possibility of reselfing, or here's a possibility of me having a new vision, here's a possibility of finding spiritual freedom. That chapter was hard for me to write, but I think it's one of my most important chapters because those holding containers, spiritual holding containers for women, you know, how many women's conferences are bloom where you planted? And, you know, here's the, here's the little pot for you and you're going to become root bound, but just make the most of your place. And so Those holding containers, women are, I think, leaving them today, at least having more of a liminal relationship with them. Our mothers would have never dreamed of that because the holding container was the holding container. 
especially when you get told this is God's holding container. This is your role, your place. And now sort of this gift of spiritual freedom, women can become more mystics, more wise elders. They can become the priests, the pastors, the prophets, the, you know, sages. We have so many possibilities spiritually at this time. I love the nuggets Cheryl Bridges-Johns is giving us today about that big M word, menopause. But really, no matter what stage of life you're in, Cheryl is giving us new ways of thinking about this really important time of change. But what I want you to remember is that there is support out there for these shifts. Therapy can be an amazing tool to help smooth and repair the cracks or even lay a whole new foundation for whatever it is you're navigating. Maybe now is the right time for you to engage with BetterHelp, which is a source for professional online therapy. That means your therapist literally meets you where you are. BetterHelp also really prioritizes matching you with the right licensed therapist for your unique journey. So they have a very broad range of experts and you'll walk through a number of questions to identify the specific pain points and sticky areas that feel burdened to you. You can also request a new counselor at any time with no additional charge. And because it's all online, BetterHelp offers not only convenient and accessible options, but also affordable. And there's no waiting time. You can start communicating with a BetterHelp therapist literally in under 24 hours. So as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month of BetterHelp by visiting our sponsor at BetterHelp.com dot com slash for the love. And you can join literally more than a million people who have taken charge of their mental health. So again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash for the love. It's a new year, beloveds. We made it to 2022. This is a time where some of us may set resolutions or maybe intentions or words for our year. It's a great time to really reflect on where we need to just pull some different levers in our lives. This is why I'm also just so excited to introduce you to the Me Course series, which is a series that I have put out with my incredible team. Our mission here is simple. This is inspirational, educational, and actionable content, as I like to say, for the rest of us. It's not heady graduate level work here, okay? But it is what we all need from finance to building better habits to cultivating simplicity in the name of wellness and more. These are some of the pillars where I personally have seen the most life change in myself and in others. And so with me, course, We are telling you what actually does work. And I do it with some friends, friends who are experts in their respective fields, and they talk you through it too. We've really distilled it all down to the best of the best, a true highlight reel of everything you need to know in real life and how to make it work for you without you needing to commit hours upon hours of your time, which you don't have. Here's what you can expect. Four 15-ish minute sessions, and that's it. But also, as you will see, that is enough. We They are packed and condensed without tons of fluff. We also have a whole library of bonus resources to explore and implement and remind you of what you learned. You get it all. 
Let's start learning together and be here for our lives in this way. So register now at mecourse.org and use the code for the love to save $10 off already discounted prices. This is the best deal. I can't wait. Mecourse.org. Join us. Let's get into the brass tacks here on your book, which is unique in the land of information on menopause. And so thank you, first of all, for this labor. It's It was obviously a labor of love. This is the kind of book that just, just skips right out of your fingertips, right? This is this is a labor, both in research and in kind of personal exposure. And so thank you in advance for that. But can you talk a little bit in your book about the seven transforming gifts that women discover during menopause? And we can't, we don't have to go through all of them, but I wonder if you could touch on a couple of them that you think particularly would be of interest and encouragement to my listeners, mostly women who are approaching menopause. It's a little bit ahead of us, but not by much. Yeah. Yeah. I call that first gift. And this is the one that's the most difficult or takes women by surprise. I call it the gift of uncovering. I I, I just had a hard time naming it, but that's when that lovely dance of progesterone and estrogen and all gets out of whack and you have perimenopause and you have maybe estrogen dominance and fibroids and you're just really a mess. Your body is screaming at you. But also during that time, parts of your brain, memory, that ring about memory, like vivid memory, not just, oh, I remember that, but things that you put way down in those caverns of your psyche are all of a sudden activated and they come back almost like they happened yesterday. So That's we so interesting. Oh, hmm. yeah, we feel overwhelmed. Well, why is that a gift? Well, I think it's a gift to revisit. Like, what did you let go? What did you repress? So the uncovering is sort of like a storm that comes in and, and then you walk the beach and you go, well, there was a ship there. We didn't know that ship was there. It was hidden. And this storm came in and it helped this or cleared out that. And so it's the clearing, uncovering. We need to lighten the load and cut ourselves for the second half of life. We've got to do the psychic, spiritual, emotional cleaning out of our life so that all of that baggage that comes with this first part of life and disappointments and grief. And I talk about a lot of some of that in this book of women I know and my own self that we come to terms and we give our earlier self grace. You know, I'm always, you should have, you should have, but Hey, I did the best I could. I was 25 and I did the best I could. I was 35 and I just did what I knew to do. And, but then you, you can also give other people grace, other women, grace, other people, grace, the mommy wars that I had to endure, just say, I chose to work outside the home. You chose not to. I give you grace. You give me grace. We're all good. We're all good here because we've got this second half of life ahead of us and we don't need all that stuff. And so it's a gift of uncovering things. And when things come up to the surface as they will bubble up, we can, you know, repress or deny. But the best thing is to just face them, just lean into the storm. 
as I say, just lean into this and see where it takes you. And I think as Jonathan Martin said in his book on shipwreck, it can take you down. It can take you to the very bottom. But I believe what comes up is this newly configured self. I think that, you know, God holds our hands even when we stumble. We stumble a lot, but we do. But God holds our hands. And so that I think is a critical gift. That's a good one. As I mentioned, the gift of self earlier, but the gift of spiritual freedom, I think, is another paramount gift. And to can you talk more about that? Yes. You know, those holding containers I, I mentioned earlier. And I think there is a depth of spirituality that older women can have. That's right. And 100%. It's, it's like it's there for us. And we can see, we can know, we can become the holder, the prophet. We can become Anna. We can become the one to whom the Lord awakes up at night and speaks or shows us things, and uh, the wise sage. But there's a cost to that. As you know, there's a cost to any of this. And admit maybe that we're just too heavy for some holding containers. Not that we're better than other people. It's just, I'm just too heavy for that anymore. And they don't have any way to carry me. I can't. They don't know how to carry me. This, This was good for the 25-year-old me, but it's not going to carry me at 50. And mm. I'm not better this than so them. Good. I'm not less than them. Now, they're going to try to make you feel less, but I'm not less than them. I'm not better than them. I had a friend of mine who just said, Cheryl, you're just too heavy. It's not your fault. It's that this organization, this denomination, these people, they don't have a way of carrying who you are. But you can celebrate that heaviness and know that, oh, I'll often read the, the passage where Jesus says, I will never leave you orphaned, and we will come and make her home with you. And I asked a wise elder a few weeks ago about the issue of loneliness. She's a mother in the African-American church. She's in her 70s and just was sitting by her, and I looked at her. She's so elegant, so put together, so much a spiritual powerhouse. And I said, so what do you do about the loneliness? And she looked at me and she said, Oh, don't you know, Cheryl, we have our home in God and they have come by the power of the spirit and they've made a place for us. And, and they have made up an abide with us and I'm never alone. Oh, that gave me goosebumps. I'm like, yes, Lord, I needed that. I need, I know that. I know that here. But when she looked at me, it was like, Make your home in God. And when you make your home in God, you may be homeless and liminal and isolated, and you feel like nobody understands you, especially those closest to you, maybe. But as Dr. Claudette Copeland, I'll give the name, she's just looked right at me. And don't you know, we make our home in God. And I go, thank you, thank you, thank you. What you are illustrating for me is another sort of ancillary advantage to honoring our feminine mothers and elders, which is something about the collective wisdom of our mentors 
transcends a lot of the weird and in many cases invented boundaries that we have a couple of decades sooner. Like for example, cause you mentioned her, you know, I love your friendship with Beth more. And so I'm looking at you two and then me kind of coming up next behind you and just seeing the diversity in our streams And some of those barriers that felt insurmountable when you're 31, when you're 41, like I can't learn from you or I can't work with you or we can't partner together or our wisdom can't combine to lead the next generation. We discovered that none of that was ever true. And so we get to watch our mentors come together in this sort of, well, cabal, if you will, of like feminine leadership. And it's very exciting to watch. And it mentors me in its in and of itself. Like we can combine across all kinds of intersections. Our power collectively is a big deal. It's a big deal. Our power of anger. I, I have a, a chapter on anger. You know, that collective power is important these days, as well as our collective wisdom. And our collective grief. I just finished editing a book called Grieving, Brooding, Transforming. And a group of us women, Pentecostal scholars, looked at some of the troubling text. And I see that the feminist hermeneutic has missed. I can't have a hermeneutic of suspicion easily. But I missed the hermeneutic of grief, the grieving, the grieving spirit, the brooding in the grief. That is not a bad thing. Mm, it's that's a, right. A very human. Oh yeah. And a divine thing. Mm. When your grief, oh, I've discovered that to be true. Yeah. When your grief mm-hmm. and divine grief are together, you can be held in that grief and not be overwhelmed. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. It really is true. Like I can hear you say that and I can say that, but until you've experienced it, mm-hmm. that sort of even healing and power and transformation inside the like white hot center of grief, it's hard to right. believe. I but can shout on that. Yes, I can too. I don't want to. I don't want to know that no. lesson, but I do. Yes, I sure do. And so I'll tell you what, I am at the point now where I am grateful for it. And I wouldn't miss a second of the suffering and the pain and the loss that led me to that place. Cause I just couldn't access it any other way. I mean, I wanted to, I, I could access it in my brain. My brain has enough imagination for it, but until it's like my embodied and lived experience, It doesn't make its way into the center chamber of my heart, which which is where it resides now. I recently went on record that the dinner struggle has been real. I'm either making enough for 12 people or we're eating cereal for dinner. I can't find the middle. It's just, it's what it is. But here's the good thing about this situation. Since cereal is factoring in, I recently found this cereal called Catalina Crunch, which is Uh, maybe my new favorite thing. So they've got eight flavors, super nostalgic, like cinnamon toast, fruity, honey graham. And then they have options like dark chocolate, mint chocolate chip, chocolate peanut butter. So this is essentially like dessert. It's breakfast dessert. Catalina Crunch uses real ingredients. It's keto-friendly. It's gluten-free. It's grain-free. It's non-GMO, zero sugar, and low carbs. So plus they pack in 11 grams of plant-based protein and nine grams of fiber per serving. I kid you not. Like I have no idea how Catalina Crunch has made cereal with that kind of pedigree actually taste incredible and not like gross cardboard, but they did. So 
see why Catalina Crunch cereal is the fastest growing cereal brand in America right now. You can go to CatalinaCrunch.com slash for the love and get 15% off your first order plus free shipping. Yay. So it's CatalinaCrunch.com slash for the love. And if you're not sure which flavor to start with, try a variety pack. And then you can also check out their delicious cookies and snack mixes while you're at it. So again, it's CatalinaCrunch.com slash for the love and you get 15% off your first order plus free shipping. I want to ask you one last question before we kind of wrap this up. I kind of want to hear you speak on this idea that why you think this conversation is important. Why is it important to bring menopause out of what has been kind of its shadowy status, really, to shed it of the shame that has always been attached to this very natural and good, to your point, part of our female evolution. Like what's the benefit of this? What is the ROI when women, when our partners, when our doctors start having open and honest conversations around menopause? Like what do you expect we would see change or grow or in what ways would we and the people around us flourish because of it? I think one thing, is that women's lives sometimes are at stake with this, those especially with severe depression during that time. And then I believe what they're looking for in the UK right now is how businesses and workplaces can support women during this time because a lot of women hide in shame about it. And it's like we, we're having a, a baby and, and people around us will try to support that But going through menopause, we still have all of those sort of trauma memories, I think, of of that and the sense of, I don't want to let anyone know that I'm not totally, completely put together because that was used as an excuse to keep women out of business, out of government, out of anything because they would go crazy at menopause, right? That was sort of a that. But if people could see it as, a time in which women are becoming more and in their becoming more society, it will be for the common good, not just for my good or your good. It's for the common good. And can we as a society, as a church, as a a community, can we, a family system, can we welcome these gifts, not just individually, but corporately for the common good, for the flourishing of society, So that as women flourish in the second half of life, society itself flourishes. We are a hundred percent. Yes. We all been the data supports this. Like even if we can't get people to buy in to our kind of spiritual woo-woo space that we're talking about right now, if you're just a statistician, please look at the data behind what it means in any given community when women from their littlest to their senior years are flourishing. It's good for their GDP. It is good for their bottom line. It is good for employment. It is good for children. It is good for longevity and health. Like, let's just say you're unmoved by our own sense of like agency and autonomy over our own spiritual authority in our lives. Forget it. Do you just like a successful culture? Do you like progress? Do you like all the boats in the harbor rise? And so this is undisputed data. So this really is good for everyone. Genuinely good. Yes. Genuinely good news. 
for our cultures. Okay, Cheryl. So this is a series called For the Love of the Elephant in the Room, because we really wanted to steer the show into the waters of conversation that just aren't talked about enough for, for a myriad of reasons. There's not enough patriarchal interest in the conversation, if you will, which is, I think, indicative of here. And maybe they're just hard. Maybe it's just hard. And we're not great at hard. Like, But because we are trying to both model and practice and lead into what that really means and the benefit of it, I want to ask you this. As a rule, when we're thinking about elephants in the room, whatever they may be, how have you learned to approach uncomfortable conversations? And they're uncomfortable for whatever reason. There's a a conflict inside of them, or there's disagreement or ideological misalignment, whatever it is, or it's personal. How do you approach hard talks? Well, as an Enneagram 7, I run. Mm, I wanted to be a seven. <laughs> uh, I wanted to be a seven so bad. I tried to skew the test uh-huh. so I could be labeled a seven and I just can't. I'm a hardcore three. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. Mm-hmm. Three's good. Yeah. But we sevens don't like pain. We run from it. You know, totally. So yeah, yeah, yeah. when I have to face it, I try to have the grace is a big word for me. And grace is something that I have both received and I have to give. But I am learning that grace is not necessarily silence or backing down or speaking my truth and that I can have grace, I can bless, but I don't have to cower beneath some type of trolling, you know, I just mm-hmm. I love this realm of trolls. And, uh, you know, they take things out of context and they twist of it. Of course. And so yeah. I just want to one, maybe just run, or secondly, just blast <laughs> or third, subtweet, or fourth. Sure. I'm familiar <laughs> with all these approaches. Uh, they feel so good for just a minute. Minute, they do. They do. <laughs> for just a minute. That first minute, but then uh-huh. regret, regret is always on its heels. It's always there. So I try, I'm trying to be full of grace in a way that doesn't let the disagreement destroy my humanity and their humanity. That's right. What a good bar. You lead on in that teacher. We are paying attention and we are watching the women who have raised us show us how it's done. And my hope is that every generation learns it a little sooner right? That we start talking about it earlier, that we put it into practice younger, that our body of role models continues to just grow and grow and grow. Because to your point, we were just reaching for a while, but may that be a cloud of witnesses in the next couple of generations that is just wild and rampant. I want to ask you one last question. And this is from Barbara Brown-Taylor. And I ask all my guests this. And so, of course, as always, please answer this however you want. This, we, we run the gamut on answers on this one. So she asked in one of her books, what is saving your life right now? The two books that you medieval historians or medieval theologians, and we kind of lost that, but the two forms of God's presence and revelation, nature is my goodness, it's where it's saving me. And 
Secondly, scripture, you know, writing this book on scripture. And, you know, I have this understanding of scripture as sort of a sacramental portal, spirit word, and away from a more fundamentalist reading or even a deconstructive reading. It's more of a reading where I'm reading in the presence of God. So those two Mm. things, certainly. Mm. Thank you for your mentorship and for setting an example of faith that I feel proud of and that I feel drawn to and that I feel confident putting in front of my community leadership that is holy and courageous and it's North stars are justice and equality and flourishing. This is the, this is what we need. And so thank you for the, all the ways in which you labor to lead us, the rest of us. Can you just, just tell my community quickly where to find you and your stuff? What's the, what's the quickest way? Yeah. My website is CherylBJohns.com and I have some things there about myself and there are links there to my book. You can get seven transforming gifts of menopause on most of the book outlets. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for your time today. And I'm listening to what you have to say. So please keep teaching and lead the way for the rest of us. I'll hold you in my heart. Thank you, Cheryl. Blessings. Okay. So, I mean, obviously we just barely scratched the surface on menopause and the, all the important stuff that wraps around this, but I'd like to think of this as a starting point for us. I am just happy to like open up the chamber to put this sort of in our community bucket to keep our eye on, to talk openly about, to learn from one another on, to eliminate shame on. And I'm so grateful to Cheryl for her passion and actually her really super smart brain. Like I love this combination of the PhD and the pastor in her combining around this really important conversation that is historically not had nearly enough eyes on it. So I'm curious to hear what you think. I'd love to hear in the comments on this social post, like what's your experience here with menopause? So I'm just telling you right now, I'm putting you on blast that I'm going to host this conversation for us. And I'm really looking forward to learning because I'm new to it. I feel like I'm a learner alongside of you. And so let's start, as Cheryl would say, raising up the elders inside our community and hearing what they have to say too. You guys, the whole elephant in the room series is so good. I hope it serves you. I hope you're like, Like I've been wanting to know about that or I've been wanting to talk about that or why isn't anybody talking about that? Or I feel conflicted on this and I just want to like pull a seat up to the table of this conversation. That's what this is. Okay. And we will handle these complicated topics with the greatest care. Don't miss the series. If you've missed any of it, go back and pick it up. And as always, if you're looking for a consolidation, you can go to jenhatmaker.com under the podcast tab. All episodes are there, show notes, links to everything we talked about, etc. And then of course, as always, if you want to watch a video or an interview, we video them too, and they're over on my YouTube channel. So sometimes it's just fun to see body language and expressions and people's faces. You know, we convey so much like that. So, all right, you guys, that's it. Have an awesome day and I'll see you next week.